And so today we are going to be pulling two people out of the stands together to tell this amazing, beautiful story. And so that's Ruth and Naomi. And so it's going to be good. So everybody grab your Bibles. Say this after me. I thank you, Father, that your word has the power to change my life. Today I give heed to it. I allow it to go into my ears, into my mind, and then into my spirit. I am a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. And I'll never be the same after today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12. This is our theme verse, and it begins with the word therefore because it is, uh, is talking about Hebrews chapter 11, which people affectionately call the, the hall of fame of faith. Gives us a list of ordinary people that did extraordinary things just because they chose to believe things that they couldn't understand. And so it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and that's a really cool thought, that those people didn't just live great lives, but they're actually in heaven watching us live our lives now. And so that, that means that if they're watching, then your loved ones are probably watching too. That's cool. And so it says, there, um, there's a great, such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. So in other words, we are still in the race. Taking lap after lap after lap. And this life race, listen, it can be difficult sometimes. And that's why it's important that we look back at our heroes in faith and see what would they tell us. And so there are people in the stands and they're saying, you can make it, you can do it. They're cheering for us. And so we're pulling those people out of the stands and we're give, getting their advice as far as what would they tell us. And so today we're pulling out of the stands two heroines, not heroin. We're not pulling heroin out of the stands. We're going to pull two women of faith out of the stands. And they have a lot to teach us today. Ruth and, his, and her mother-in-law, Naomi are two heroes of the Bible that have a ton to teach us. It's a very small book, but it's packed full of wisdom. And so we find their story in the book of Ruth. And so verse one, chapter one, verse one, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, there's a lot in that, in that verse there. And so if you look at verse 1, it gives us the setting of the book of Ruth. So let's look at that timeline. Last week, we looked at the book of Noah. If you weren't here last week, you can go on our website or on YouTube and watch that. But so let's fast forward about a thousand years from Noah all the way back to around 1385 BC. And so you fast, por fast forward past... Abraham, Jacob, or Job, Jacob, and then 430 years of slavery in Egypt, and then Moses delivering them from slavery, um, and they wander the, wander the wilderness, and Moses passes, Joshua takes over around 400 BC, 
1400 BC, Joshua lives 110 years, and then around the end of Joshua's life, we go through this dark period that we call the time of the judges. And that was about, it lasted about 300 years. And so during the time of the judges, Israel turns away from God over and over and over. It was a really dark time, days of war and rebellion against God. And so that's the setting within Judges where Ruth takes place. And if you want to put, if you want to find point as far as where it takes place, most scholars put the book of Ruth right about Judges chapter 10. So that's about the same time. And so during one of the, uh, Yair was the judge that was probably the judge that was ruling during, uh, during this time. And so let's go to verse 2. It says, now the name of this man was Elimelech. And so that's a Hebrew name and it means my God is king. That's a cool name. My God is king. So then the name of his wife was Naomi. And Naomi is a word that means pleasantness. And so the name of the two sons, Malon, Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. Then they went to the country of Moab and they remained there. And then in verse 3, it says, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of that land, Moab. And the name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other one was Ruth. And they dwelt there. That's, she's their other heroine today. And they dwelt there about 10 years. So they live a decade in this foreign land of Moab. And then both the boys pass away. They die. And then, um, so they both also died. So the woman survived her two sons. And there was a, listen, there is a ton of heartache compressed into verse 3 through 5. And so now this woman, Naomi, is in this position of having lost absolutely everything. Her husband, her covering, her provider, her children, um, who also could have provided in her absence. Now she has two daughters-in-law and no way to earn a living in those days. And so they walked away from their land in Bethlehem. And now she's in danger of losing her inheritance in Bethlehem because she's she's away from home. So I just want to pause for a second and identify with Naomi for a second. Many of us have been through periods of time or times in our life where life is not what we thought it was going to be. I've talked to people where, you know, you kind of wake up at a certain age maybe and you think, wow, this is not where I wanted to be at this age. This is not where I thought I would be. Or sometimes we wake up and we might wake up to an incredible amount of loss in our life, uh, pain, either emotional or even physical. And sometimes we tend to worry or fret or react to situations and sometimes we even question God like how could a God of love allow me to go through these things we've all been there and so but I want to take a second just to stop here and realize Naomi has lost who's lost her husband and her two her two sons is left just crushed by the very burdens of life now I'll give you a spoiler alert it turns out for them in the end okay But for right now, I just want to pause and I want to ask the question, what is the big idea that they would look back across their life, like 2020, right? Like what would they, what advice would they give us? What what is it that they would say to us? Because a lot of us have either been in that position or we are going through that right now, or you will have to overcome that position in the future where life just doesn't work out like you thought it would. Throws you curveballs. And there's possibly pain or even regret or even grieving involved. And a lot of times we don't know how to deal with that. 
We don't know how to take that and give it to God and let him lead and guide us through every step. These two ladies did that, came out stronger on the other side. And I think sometimes the problem is that we have a lack of hindsight. And that's what we're going to glean from Naomi and Ruth. And I think that they would tell us that the problem is we don't, that, that listen, the very worst circumstances that you could be in while trusting God is still better than the very best that the world has for you. And so we see in this story that in the very midst of pain and grief and worry, and even as we'll find out questioning God, we see a roadmap that they lay out for us in how to run through each and every obstacle and come out the other side an overcomer in God's will, in God's purpose, and with God's favor. And I think if there was one New Testament scripture that Naomi and Ruth would share with us today, it would be this. Romans 8, 28 says and that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose and as we read this story and how Naomi and Ruth navigate this whole thing they would be poster children for this children right for this scripture right here everything that we walk through in our in our humanity is easier when you know that everything that's going on in the background behind all the things that are actually happening are in your favor. That God's switching things around for those that love him. That he's turning around evil for good. Yes. And so we did a whole series about a month ago on discovery and finding your purpose. And we've discovered that our purpose is not a destination, it's a journey. Like Naomi and Ruth have. And that it's 100% to be there for other people. And so we're going to see that in Naomi and Ruth. So let's continue the story. So in verse 6, Ruth, uh, well, let me just tell you that part. They, um, they go to, Naomi goes to her two, um, her two daughters, and they go to them, and they see that, that whatever happens, she says to them, go back home. Go back to Moab, go back to your family, and what I'll do is I'll go back to Bethlehem. And so when, when she does that, what happens is that um, the Orpah goes back home. Ruth refuses to leave. No matter how much she begs her to go back home, she refuses to leave. And so finally, Ruth then says, all right, fine, go with me. We'll go back to Bethlehem. So they get to Bethlehem. It's been 10 years. But people still recognize Naomi. And so they're like, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. That's pleasantness. I remember her. And so where's her, where's her husband? My God is king. Well, he's not with her. And where are their son, her sons? They're not with her. But she's got this young girl with her that's not an Israelite. She's a Moabite. And let's look at verse 20. It says, do not call me Naomi. Listen, don't call me pleasantness. Call me Mara. It means bitterness. Because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. You know, it's amazing when bad things happen, we blame God. See, Naomi's angry. She's bitter. She says, don't even call me pleasantness anymore. Call me bitterness. And so she says, well, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me home again empty. So why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me, but the Almighty has afflicted me? How many times do things happen in our lives and we blame God for it? Naomi was in a very dark place in her life right at this point and I believe that if she could come down out of the stands her and Ruth and one of the things that they would tell us is to listen don't blame God 
See, Naomi in this situation, she's overwhelmed with self-pity and with doubt, even to the point that she's thinking that God is against her. But what she doesn't know at this point is that God's got her back. And in hindsight, she would tell us, never blame God. Let's look in verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the country of Moab. Now, they came to the country of Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, the Holy Spirit puts that there for a very, very specific reason, and we'll get to that in a minute. So now, so they come back. It's mid to late April. That's when the barley harvest starts. And then chapter 2 and verse 1 says, There was a relative of, Na- of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, her husband. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I might find favor. And so she said to her, All right, go ahead. Now, this is what's going on here. In the Old Testament, law of the Jews, there was in Leviticus chapter 23, I think, there was a law of the harvest. It was a welfare law. And it got instituted known as gleaning. Now, gleaning was when the harvesters would go through and they would take the, the harvest down, and they would, but they would only go through once. And they would leave a lot of stuff. And they wouldn't go through and pick up the rest of the things, and so rest of the harvest. And so they would leave it that way. And so God said, leave it that way. Don't go back and pick it up. Let the poor of the land go in and glean whatever is left and let them take it home for themselves. It was a beautiful, gracious way of God caring for the poor. And yet, they still had to go and work for it. They had to go pick it up. So it wasn't like it was something that the landowners just showed up at their house. They had to go and work for it, but they could get the grain for free. So then, let's go to verse 3. So then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And watch this. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Actually, it didn't really just happen. It just seemed like it happened. But I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. And so Boaz notices this Moabite woman. And so she start, he starts asking some of his reapers, like, who is this? And they explain it's Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth. And so she had asked to come and glean. So Boaz goes and he finds Ruth. He's obviously got his eye on her. He's obviously sweet on her because he lets her know, hey, listen, don't go anywhere else. Stay here. I'll take good care of you. I've told all the young men not to bother you, not to touch you. And even when you're thirsty, you can come to my tent. We, we got, I've got water for you. And so then he invites her to lunch. Date. And then in verse 15, they, they, he gives, him some, gives her some grain. And in verse 15, and when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young man and said, let her glean among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also let grain from the bundles fall purposefully for her so that she may glean and do, and do not rebuke her. Hmm. So he tells her, listen, this girl's going to tag along in the field. She's going to be there. But listen, I want you to give out a little bit extra for her because she's hot. (laughs) And so she comes along and she says, oh, look what I just happened to find. Wow. And so listen, there's an idea here. And that is of God's providence. You see, God's providence is God using natural events to affect a supernatural outcome. See, he arranges events. They seem to you and I like maybe they just happen, but actually they didn't. See, I look back and I think, you know what? It just happened that in high school, I was invited by a girlfriend to a bonfire. 
And it just so happened that at that bonfire, Melissa happened to be there. And it so just happened, it ha just so happened that we bumped into each other. And it just so happened that a month later, my girlfriend and I weren't going out anymore. And it just so happened that there was a missionary that came to our church that was speaking, and it just so happened that Melissa was interested in missionaries. And it just so happened that that night, walking her to her door, I kissed her. And, and all those little happenstances, as it went through our relationship, I could go on and on and on, it became the will of God unfolding for our life. And listen, you don't see it at the time. You, you, you see it looking back, right? It's like, ah, oh, if I hadn't met that person or I hadn't been there or I hadn't done that or if I hadn't gotten into that little fender bender, then I wouldn't have met this person. See, that's providence. It's not miraculous. See, in a miracle, God intervenes in natural law, right? So like a miracle is the intervention and super imposition of supernatural over natural law. That's a miracle, Providence is God using natural events, natural circumstances, natural law. And I think that one of the things that Naomi and Ruth would tell us and would try to explain to us is that we have to trust in God's providence. See, he arranges the natural to affect the supernatural all the time. So for, for example, notice the providence and the timing in, in Ruth's story. So back in chapter one, it says it's, it was the beginning of the barley harvest. So now, Naomi and Ruth come back as poor people. God's laws all the way back in Leviticus to care for the poor means they can go out and glean. And so now it puts poor people and professional landowners in the same field at the same time. Timing is perfect. The place was perfect. She just happened to glean the field of Boaz. So it was the right timing and it was the right place. And as it said in chapter 2, she just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. And I think that Naomi and Ruth would tell us, listen, you need to relax and realize that what's going on in the background is God's providence. Because everything works out for the good of those who love God and are about his purposes. He's doing things in the background that you don't know about. All right, so chapter 3. So this is like the heart of the romance of the story. So ladies, get ready. Naomi's very excited. She's being the matchmaker here. And, but, but really, God is the matchmaker of the story. This is a match literally made in heaven. God had all of this planned. So let's look in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, is, she, is he not a relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the, threth, at the threshing floor. Now, winnowing is where you take the grain, you throw it in the air in the afternoon or the evening, and the wind comes and, t and takes the chaff, the, the, sh uh, the chaff away, and the meat of the grain falls to the ground. And that's how they would separate it. And so in verse 3, so he's doing all that. And in verse th 3, Naomi tells her, wash yourself, anoint yourself, go to your, put on your best garment, go down to the threshing floor, do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. No, Naomi's smart. You know what she's saying, right? Get all dolled up, put on your best dress, look like a million bucks, put your perfume on, do your hair just right. And then he's, listen, he's already impressed with you. Wait till he sees you tonight. So, and then verse 4, she tells her, 
She says, then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. I know that sounds really weird. I'll explain that in a minute. (laughs) Verse 9. He says, and so then he lays down, he goes to sleep, everybody else is there, it's nighttime. She lies down at his feet, he feels, he senses something down there, and, he, and so he's like, so who are you? What are you doing at my feet? Are you, you like sniffing my feet or what? What's going on? So who are you? And so she answers and says, I am Ruth, your maidservant. So listen to this. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Listen. She's proposing to him. She's popping the question, marry me. Because, see, they're poor and they have to sell the land that belonged to Elimelech. And according to the laws of the Old Testament, the only way that 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 land can remain in the family is a close relative has to buy it back has to redeem it. But there's also a law in the Old Testament that if a man or a woman marry and the husband dies without giving a male offspring to his wife, then the brother of the dead husband has to go into that woman and produce an heir. It was a way to keep the family lineage going. I know that's really odd to our ears today, but what's happening here is that she is proposing to him. She's saying, take me under your covering. Take me under your protection. She's asking for lifelong protection, a husband. And so she's asking him to marry her. And it worked. Let's look at verse 11. It says, And now, my daughter, don't fear. I'll do all that you request, for all the people in my town know that you're a virtuous woman. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative that's closer to me. And so he's got first dibs. Verse 13. Stay this night and in the morning, it shall, if it shall be that he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, then good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for him, then I will perform the duty. Ha <laughs> ha. As the Lord lives, lie down in the morning. Now, there's nothing immoral going on here, but he is simply saying, I accept. Yes, I will be your covering. I'll be your protection. And so if Naomi and Ruth could come out of the stands, if they could tell us anything here at this point, I think it would be go after what you want. Go after it. I think that so many times we are waiting on God to do things and he has given us opportunity and he's waiting on us to step up into that opportunity. Well, we'll just wait on God. We don't want to work hard. We don't, we don't want to get ahead of God. We're just going to sit back and wait on the Lord. I think Naomi and Ruth would have told us, go get it. James said it this way. He said, you show me your faith with no works. I'll show you my faith by what I do by my works. And so the question may be, what is it that you know that's in your future? And you just need to buckle down and go get it with the Holy Spirit by your side, leading you and guiding you every step of the way. You know, and we hear the saying, well, you don't want to get ahead of God. And that's true. You don't want to get ahead of God. But listen, when most of us are way, way behind, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Look at this. Proverbs uh, fourteen twenty three says, In all toil, in all work, there's profit, but mere talk tends to, pro- to poverty. 
Listen, there are things in our lives that are in our future that are waiting for us to arrive, to, to reach out and take it. And that's exactly what happened with Naomi and Ruth, is Boaz was there. He noticed her. He was obviously flirting with her. He was, he was inviting her to lunch and dropping her extra grain, and Naomi is smart enough to tell her, go get your man. And I think they would say that to us today is go get what's yours. And so finally, chapter four, it says, now Boaz went to the gate and sat down there with that close relative of whom Boaz had spoken and came by. And Boaz said, come aside, friend, and sit down here. So this is the guy that's got the first right of refusal, right? He's the closer relative. And, um, and so he's, he's saying that, verse two, he took he took 10 men of the, to the elders of the city and he said to the close relative, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, sold a piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. Three. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if you won't redeem it, then tell me, because she's hot, that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it and I am next after you. All right, so real quick. When Jewish people had a piece of property, they had a title deed. And so if they lost the property or, or they had to sell the property, there was a title deed. And it was a scroll and it was round up. It was wound up and sealed with wax seals. And on the inside, sometimes even on the outside, were written the stipulations of the transaction. Now, for somebody to redeem that land or to buy it back that would be lost, there were qualifications. Number one, you had to be related. Number two, you had to be willing to do it. And number three is you had to be able to do it. You had to have the money to do it. So you have to be related, willing, and able. And so let's look at verse five. So Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through inheritance. Now notice how slick Boaz is here. He goes, hey man, there's some land in the family. Do you want it? Yeah. Okay. But there's a catch. The catch is you get the land, you get the girl. You got to marry her. But she's obviously very beautiful. But notice this, what he does in verse 6. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem her for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. So in other words, what he's saying is, I'm married with kids. We've already got this thing going on, and I don't want to screw that up. I can't be bringing home another girl. And so in verse 9 through 13, he, Boaz basically says, yes, got her. And so in verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, he became her wife, his wife, and then he went into her. The Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. And then verse 17 says, and they called that child Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so now begins the royal line because this is important because King David is her great-great-grandson or no, her great-grandson. So I think the last thing that Naomi and Ruth would say to us is, listen, all these decisions and all this stuff that happened, what they didn't know at the time, but they know now is that they were setting up the lineage of King David and therefore the lineage of Jesus, the Savior himself. So see, not only should you not blame God, not only should you trust that God is working in the background, his prominence, not only should you go after what you want, but also realizing that your life is shaping the future. Yeah. 
See, they had no idea that the decisions they were making would impact generation after generation after generation. And I've seen that where people are doing things and they're saying things and their children and grandchildren are reaping a harvest from it, good and bad. And so realize that your life and the decisions that you make today are not just about you. They're about the future of the people that you love. So whether you're overcoming setbacks in your life or whether you just need to, need to take account of what needs to be done in the future. Listen, Jesus said you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have these situations that happen. And you need to prepare yourself in a time of strength for a potential time when things can get rough. And so Naomi and Ruth would simply say to us, you can do it. Think about what God has in store for you. Don't blatant God. Trust in his providence. Go after what you want and realize that your life is shaping the future. So here's something that's even more interesting. When you look at the life of Boaz, when I look at him, when I look at Boaz, I think you remind me of somebody. Boaz reminds me of Jesus. Because see, what he does with Ruth and this land is a picture of what Jesus does for us. That relative redeemer is one of the most clear pictures of Jesus. The bridegroom who buys a Gentile bride and prepares that Gentile to be his wife. See, that Gentile bride is us, the church. See, Jesus, remember he gave the parable that he said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that he, that he, he, he hides in a field. And so, and the, says by the joy over that, he goes and he sells everything else that he has and he buys the field. See, Jesus has come to buy the bride of Christ. And so remember, there were three qualifications in order to redeem a bride. The first was that he was related and that's why he came down to earth to be born as a man and to be our brother. And then second one is that he's got to be willing. And Jesus said, listen, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of, of my own. I can lay it down and I can put it back up. He was willing to do it. And then third, he was able to do it. He had what it take to pay for it. And what did he use for his payment? His blood. See, Jesus is related He's willing and he's able and he steps forward and he takes the scroll from God the Father on the throne and he buys us. And here's what's interesting is this gorgeous love story takes place in the, one of the most darkest times in biblical history in the time of the judges. And here's the parallel. We live in dark times, but behind the scenes, God is all about preparing a bride, us, the church. And everybody that says, yes, Jesus, yes, Lord, I give myself to you, I surrender to you, becomes a part of this great company, the Bride of Christ. Would you stand with me? It's a beautiful story. And listen, God wants each and every one of us to be a part of that story. And so if you're not a believer, or if you never made a decision to follow Christ, today is your day. God's drawing people into the kingdom of God right now. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. But because of sin, all of us have been separated from God. 
But Jesus came and he paid the price for our sin with his death on the cross so that we could be free to serve him, free to fulfill our destiny in him, and free to spend eternity with him. And so what you need to do is make a decision to follow Christ today. And you could do that right there where you're standing. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, signifying that you would like to pray a prayer with me right there where you are, repenting for your sins and acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord of your life today, starting today, and asking the Holy Spirit to come in and to empower you to be the Christian that the Bible promises you that you can be. And so your life, listen, your life could be so much different if God is at the center of it and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, big on the inside of you. So if everybody would close your eyes and bow your head with nobody looking around, listen, maybe you have never made a decision to follow Christ before, or maybe you used to serve God, but you've fallen away from Him. And if you went into eternity today, God forbid, you're not sure what would happen to you. Something's come between you and God. Today is your day. Today is your day to make a decision to follow Christ. You can pray this prayer with me right there where you're at. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, those of you that want to pray this prayer with me, I just want you to raise your hand real high right there where you're standing. I just want to pray this prayer with you right now, right where you are. Put your hand up right now if that's you. Don't leave here without Jesus. Amen. Everybody look up at me. Listen. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're going to go through. Listen, hindsight's 2020. That's easy. That's a no-brainer. You're like, oh, yeah. Faith is hindsight in reverse. You're looking because like Naomi and Ruth, if they could only known, how, how much easier would that journey have been? It all works out in the end. It all works out for my best, no matter what. It's not that they didn't, not that they wouldn't grieve, not that there wouldn't be a horrible thing to lose your husband, to lose your sons. So it's not taking away from that, but knowing that in the end, there's a plan that God is not the author of evil. God does not take your loved ones, but that he turns around all evil for good. And he holds our hand through the whole thing. And he leads us. And so if we know the end at the beginning, then we can keep our eyes on what he has us to do, on our purpose, on our journey, and on the loss that God has put around us. And so today, I just want to say a prayer over each and every one of you that God would empower you with foresight. Not just hindsight, but foresight. That he, what he's got for you. So if you would bow your heads, I just want to pray over you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every single soul here. I thank you for every family here. And in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, I thank you for opening the eyes of our hearts. There are some people here that you're looking. I want you to look through all the pain and all the regret. Look through it to the future for what God has for you. The Bible says that without a vision, we perish. Look through it all 
to the vision of what God has for you to be and what God has for you to do. He is empowering and he is equipping. And there are moments in your life when you gotta do that, you gotta close your eyes. And it's not that you're ignoring it, your head's not in the sand, but you're looking through every bit of it to, to the place that he, that healthy place that he has for you to be, that powerful place. And you see yourself walking through each and every one of those things. Right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that, that vision on the inside of each and every one of them, each and one of every one of us, that we see what you have for us through the things that the world has for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Did you get anything out of that today? I hope so. I did.